0: Welcome, everyone, to Bitcoin OpTech newsletter number 272 recap on Twitter Spaces. Today, we're going to be covering the newsletter items, including a draft BIP for the OpTX hash opcode, a PR Review Club meeting summary discussing preventing type safety bugs in Bitcoin Core, some merged pull requests that finish the first phase of the Assume UTXO project, some recently merged PRs around BIP324, encrypted communication between nodes, and a PR allowing submitting packages of transactions uh, outside of just RegTest in Bitcoin Core, and more. I'm Mike Schmidt, I'm a contributor at OpTech and also executive director at Brink, where we fund Bitcoin open source developers. I don't think Merch is going to be able to join us today, but the good news is that we are pleased to join uh, by some very special guests to discuss this newsletter. Steven, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Uh, Hello, I'm Steven, Um, Bitcoin developer, been at Blockstream for the last five years or something, currently on sabbatical, and excited about developments around Covenants. yeah, lots of lots of things are happening. So excited to talk about that.
0: Gloria?
2: Hi, I'm Gloria. I work on Bitcoin Core. I'm sponsored by Brink.
1: And we
0: did uh, promote that James O'Byrne would be able to make it. I know his schedule is a bit up in the air. He may not be here, but we can speak to the Assume UTXO project on his behalf when we get there, if that's the case. First item from the newsletter is a news item talking about the specification for the op TX hash opcode. Steven, you posted to the mailing list about a draft BIP you've been working on that proposes two new opcodes, op check TX hash verify and op TX hash that specify a basic transaction introspection primitive. Maybe we can start there. Uh, Maybe you can give us your definition of what is a transaction introspection primitive.
1: Ah, good question. Um, I guess a introspection primitive is anything inside like Bitcoin consensus rules that gives a spender of a transaction some way to look at the transaction itself and what the transaction consists of, right? So something like check sequence verify or check lock time verify also gives you some limited introspection to look at sequence numbers of inputs and lock time values of transactions. And what OptiXS or CheckDXS verify are trying to do is to generalize that and give you um introspection in a limited way to like the entire transaction, everything related to it.
0: So what what can we do if we can look at the transaction using some of these opcodes, maybe some some use cases that um, could be advantageous for users. Um, I know you you mentioned a couple examples of motivation and, and types of use cases. Mm-hmm. You said uh, it's useful to reduce interactivity in multi-user protocols. It's useful to enforce some basic constraints on transactions. Maybe we can translate those two categories of of motivations into something that folks could maybe feel is a bit more tangible.
1: Um, sure. So. Maybe wind back a little bit. Um, so, so another proposal people are probably more familiar with is called uh, Check Template Verify (CTV), which is, in a summary, a a, a like more limited version of the XHash Verify. Um, so this will give you like introspection into the entire transaction, summarized into a single hash. Um, while the XHash lets you pick out um, more specific um, parts of the transaction. So anything that is a use case of CTV can be done with DxHash as well. Um, use cases uh, include like parts of what faults would do. So for example, in most of the fault constructions, you need to actually look at what's, what's, what the transaction is doing and enforce that some basic constraints on this transaction are, are met. For example, that it has a relative timeouts, some things like that. Um, TxHash cannot do that on itself, but you would need that in almost any vault construction. Um, this is why opVault also includes CTV. Um, other things you could do uh, with TxHash is just general enforcing that certain addresses are being paid, certain, um, uh, yeah, so that, that your transaction sends money of a certain amount to a certain value uh, without needing the users involved in the transaction to actually put signatures in the transaction. Um, yeah. I don't know what more specific use cases you'd like to, to go into.
0: Um, maybe in terms of... Like, um, oops, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Like, something that it, it, it can do is, like, the, the traditional um, any prevout or L2 lightning symmetry stuff because in in those models that are currently being uh, built for that, actually a signature is still required. Um, a signature that we currently can't have. But OptiX hash could serve as a segue into allowing those things when it would be combined with another opcode called check from stack. So if we would have this opcode called CheckSig from Stack, which checks the signature not over the transaction, but over any value that is put on the stack in the Bitcoin script, together with DX hash, this could enable all kinds of different um, signature hash improvements like any prevout, any script, or things like SIG hash group or sighash bundle as it's been renamed. Um, I don't know which one is the latest name. So if you have a generalized pick certain fields of this transaction and hash it, and you can have some, something else like sign over this message that is the hash of these fields of this transaction, you have a very powerful construction to do almost um, all of the things we're currently talking about that, that um, Covenants would, would give us.
0: You mentioned in the write-up quote, the construction specified in this BIP can lay the groundwork for some potential future upgrades. And you mentioned one of those with the object check sig from stack um i think you also exactly. mentioned optx how do you think as as someone who's proposing this like are those, those are would be future uh but these two opcodes that you propose being current well, why not how do you think about excluding those and making them a future upgrade versus including them in the this original proposal
1: yeah so they're not really included in the proposal so what i'm I'm not trying to propose a soft fork activation specifically, just a specification for the opcodes. And then other opcodes could be specified in different specifications. And then I'm hoping later on to bundle one or two or more of these opcodes into an, ex- an actual uh, software proposal. So like you can see in the BIP, there's no activation mechanism. there's no like bip nine deployment specified or anything it's just it's just a specification of the opcodes and hopefully later on we can either bundle this with checkxi from stack or do a separate do separate softwares for all the different opcodes that that will depend on on the politics and and how people like these opcodes and how people like um, yeah the other opcodes that are not included in this bit.
0: That makes sense. Uh, there was a section from the write up as well, titled open questions. Are there one or more of those that you'd like to highlight for the audience in terms of things that still
1: need some investigation? Um, if you could remind me, because I've been working on these, I think one of them, for example, was the resource usage. So I had some conversations with, with AJ or other people on the Delving Bitcoin forum, and I think in the latest version of the Bib and in an MR that I drafted for us Bitcoin, I found a caching strategy for TX hash that would alleviate all quadratic hashing concerns. Make sure that like all large parts of the transaction are only to be hashed once, and then any invocation of the op TX hash uh, opcodes has kind of very clear bounds on how much data is ever going to be hashed if you use uh, the caching strategy that is outlined in the um, in the implementation. And I'm, I'm planning to add a more detailed description of this caching strategy into the BIP. But first of all, I had to like figure out if it was possible. Um, so yeah, one of these concerns, one of these open questions, I have already, I think, worked on. And if you could remind me what the other one was.
0: Yeah, the the first one was, does this proposal sufficiently address concerns around resource usage and quadratic Mm -hmm. hashing? Um, And then the other two, well, there's one that was more general feedback about how people feel towards a proposal like this, which I guess is more uh, general Mm -hmm. feedback and and less uh, technical. But you you noted um, being implemented as a soft fork as is, uh, like BIP-119, or combined in a single soft fork with check-sig from stack, which we kind of
1: touched on already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so exactly um, what I did in the last week or two was, like, the bib specifies two different parts, right? So it specifies a general construction that I call the DX field selector, which allows you to basically select different parts of the transaction that you want to include. But this is a general uh, general construct, and it can be used with DX hash, but it could also later on be used for, for example, something like OptX or a, or a SIG hash type. And I wanted this construction to be as powerful and as useful as possible, not only for template checks like OptX as verify, but also later on for usage with check from stack. So I added some other things that are not necessarily useful when checking transaction templates, but are more useful when doing something like SIG hashes. So for example, including the control block of the current input including the last opcode co- co- celebrator position of the current input um, and having a shortcut for something like a stcash all, which currently is not the default uh, value for the check.txt verify. So that so that this construction is very general and is like, not to say like all encompassing, but like that it, it actually can, can, can include all the things we can currently think of and then this construction can be like used maybe across for, uh, different opcodes uh, and, and different uses. So that's what I've been working on mostly, and then um, an implementation, a reference implementation, and a caching strategy for all this.
0: Looking at the mailing list and also the the draft PR that you have to the bips repository there is no commentary there but you mentioned that there's been some back and forth on the delving bitcoin forum potentially mm-hmm. and you've probably yeah. gotten uh, maybe offline feedback as well so what what sort of feedback um, have you gotten that you
1: care to share um so i would like to mention there's this um other guy i don't know his real name but his pseudonym is Riarding code who's doing who's proposing something very similar to this um basically an upgrade to cdv that instead of allowing you to pick like mi- mi- mix and match different fields of the transaction has like some specific predefined combinations so that they are more tailored to, to specific use cases and um they would consume less bytes. And so I've I've been having some back and forth with him about the benefits and the drawbacks of both of these alternatives. And generally, I think the feedback has been quite positive um, given that um, people don't seem to like APO all too much and CTV seems to have been been blocked for a long time, which was mostly mostly my motivation for this proposal that uh, I think Russell O'Connor came up with this idea of OptiX hash almost, or even more than two years ago, but no one ever really did the work to, to specify how this could or would look. And so what I did was try and do this because a lot of commentary I've heard of CTV is that it's not powerful enough. And it's actually very annoying in most of the things people say that it can be used for, so with the hash, it would alleviate most of these concerns of CTV while also like opening the way towards an alternative to APO, um, any prev out that people um, might like better instead of using a SIG hash flag for that, doing something like TX hash plus check sick from stack. So I think that the feedback has been mostly positive. Yeah.
0: Anything else that you think the audience should be aware of or any calls to action for the audience? I know you have a detailed specification here in, in Rust. You obviously have the the BIP open for commentary in the mailing list. Um, anything else that you, you'd like folks to to take a look at or provide feedback on who are listening?
1: Um, I would say anyone who's technical, would it would be very helpful to look at the exact specification of the DX field selector and to see if there's any combinations that that people could think of that are useful that I forget. Um, Mostly what I think I will be doing next is uh, people have been asking me, like, give us some use cases, show that this is useful, and show what this can do. And uh, so I think. I'm gonna try and like build some summary website where, <laughs> like, it goes over use cases that people talked about and how this could be achieved with this. Because it seems it seems that in our current landscape, any proposal needs to have its own website and show its merits to the to the people. So yeah, if, if you if you have use cases that that could be used by this, definitely let me know somewhere either in the mailing list or in the forum. Uh, if you have questions, if this could be used for a certain use case you have, definitely ask, and then we can we can take it through. Uh, I think this is the most useful feedback, like use cases and concerns about about this this uh, proposal.
0: Is there work that's been done on uh, Optix Hash with regards to elements and the Liquid Network, or are you looking for for this strictly in a uh, Bitcoin sense?
1: Yeah, uh, this is mostly like Bitcoin related. Um, Liquid has recently added. Like some real pure introspection opcodes that basically give you insight uh, in different fields of the transaction without needing to hash them. So I don't think Liquid needs something like the hash because it's more limited than what it already has. So no, I don't. I don't know of any plans for Liquid to include this. Uh, this is mostly just a Bitcoin thing.
0: Greg Sanders has a question or comment.
3: Yeah, just a question. Um, so, I, I've talked to you a little bit offline, but I think it's good to talk about out loud. Kind of what, what doesn't this do that's something that like OptX or Liquid Introspection can do? Guess, what are the limitations here?
1: That's a good question um, because it depends on other things. Like currently, there's almost no limitations, there's almost no difference because if you want to do useful things with something like Direct, direct Introspection or OptX, you almost always need something to manipulate data as well. So you need either 64-bit arithmetic to do useful things with values, or you need upcat to do useful things with script buffers. So without cat or or 64-bit arithmetic, I think hash or opdX or direct introspection is kind of the same in, in sense of use cases but ideally we would get over a fear of upcat, especially now with the whole bitvm uh, thing being being released recently. And maybe if we can get upcat and 64-bit arithmetic, then, then obviously um, direct introspection is more useful. Then you would totally be able to replace, uh, for example, op You can actually look at like values from the input and values from the output and do math on that and then have checks on that. But without those things, there's currently no no difference. I, I think because all the inputs, all the values you want you want to check. If you can't do math, you can just put on on the stack uh, through the witness or through the script. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah. So I think I think I haven't sketched it out exactly, but I think you can do very very limited vaults with tx hash. But there's no like there wouldn't be any batching, right? So this idea that you could introspect input values directly to do math mm-hmm. on them. And assert outputs, but there's still like limited ways this can be used, right? So I think that's kind of where it's basically like in some cases it's like you can do less efficient but similar things,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
3: That makes a lot of sense because once you talk about opcode numerical opcodes, that's another can of worms to open.
1: <laughs> exactly. So like just for the for the audience, I think what you're talking about is that with DX hash. You can pick any value of the transaction, right? So something you can do is say, pick the value of the amount of the input at index zero and get the amount. And then with another OptiX, you can say, get the amount of the um, of the value of output zero. And then you can check that the hash- hashes are the same. So you can't really look at the amount itself, but you can check that there's e- equality between the input and the output. And that's um, already useful, for example, for, for vaults without more advanced fee handling or without, like you say, batching and bundling of multiple inputs into a single output.
0: Steven, thank you for joining us. You're welcome to stay on through the rest of the newsletter or you're free to drop a few other things to do, but thank you for your time.
1: Cool. Thanks for having me.
0: Cheers. Next section from the newsletter is our monthly segment on a Bitcoin Core PR Review Club session. This month, we highlighted... Type-safe transaction identifiers, which is a pull request from Nicholas Goga, and it's tagged in, labeled in the repository as a util. The PR aims to improve t- type safety by introducing a new transaction identifier type with TXID and WTXID. And uh, Gloria, I saw you had commented in the pull request quote i've definitely written and seen bugs that could be prevented if txid and wtxid were different types so maybe given your familiarity with seeing this as an issue you can maybe outline you know what is the what are the potential pitfalls here and how does this pull request begin to address that
2: yeah, sure. Um, so Uint 250, I mean, this PR is mostly a refactor, but I don't know. It addresses bugs that could be pretty bad, I think. Uh, a unt 256 can represent actually three different types. So block hash, yeah, sure. uh, a tra- and a transaction hash of two different types with or without the witness data, which is something that we've had since SegWit, of course. Um, and yeah, I, I'm very happy to admit that in bugs were accidentally passed in the uh, transaction identifier with the witness because that's usually a much safer way to commit uh, to specify a transaction to a function that assumes that it's a TXID without the witness. Um, And we have a lot of those kind of that were written before SegWit existed, and there was only one way to refer to a transaction. and now that there is witness data, that's almost always the best way to refer to a transaction because you want to avoid uh, bugs where there are mutations of the same uh, TXID, but with different witnesses. Um, and so, yeah, there's, I've seen a lot of bugs in review. I've written a lot um, and, and fixed. Um, where we use a TXID instead of a WTXID or vice versa. So I think we've frequently talked about just making it type safe, i.e. making two different types and enforcing um, that only one of the two types is used um, where it's meant to only represent one of those two types. Um, And somebody finally wrote the PR and, went through the bike-shedding hell and uh, frustrations of people saying, oh, this changes so much code, blah, blah, blah. Um, But it, it, I think, can be very beneficial in the long run uh, in preventing bugs. So yeah, that's it. We had a fun discussion about type safety and compilers and whatnot during the review club.
0: One thing that that I thought was interesting, this was in one of the questions from the write-up, um, but maybe it's good to call it out explicitly, is that if, if a variable can represent three different things as you outlined, you could potentially, as you gave the example of, pass in TXID when WTXID is expected or, or vice versa. And there, the feedback me- mechanism to know if you're doing something wrong there is you have to run it, right? And, and then see that an error occurs in a certain scenario versus if you explicitly type these things then when you compile you'll see a compile error before you even try to run in, run any of that is, is that right
2: yeah so a really common test that I'll write is like while I'm fuzzing for example I'll re- I'll create two transactions with the same txid and I'll change the witness data so they have the same txid but they have different wtxids and then I'll go through all the code paths and you know, make sure the data structure doesn't fall over if you know I have two transactions like this, um, and that catches the vast majority of bugs that I've written or that other people have written. But it wastes a lot of time. Like I've, I've spent at least a few hours like plumbing a fuzzer crash, um, only to find that oh. Right, of course, they have the same TXID. Uh, um, <laughs> if the compiler just tells you right away, that's, that can save a lot of time.
0: I know you have to, to jump shortly. One thing that I think would be interesting for the audience is two-part question. One, what is the transaction orphanage? And I guess the follow-up relevant to this PR is, why is that a good place to implement these type-safe transaction identifiers?
2: oh yeah sure so uh while we are participating in relaying transactions uh, sometimes we'll come across a transaction that spends an input that doesn't exist to us so it spends a utxo and we look that utxo up in our utxo set and in our mempool and it doesn't exist and that can be benign so that it could have an unconfirmed parent that we just haven't seen yet because there's a race in you know, downloading these transactions. Or we just came out of IBD and the parent was broadcasted while we were still catching up on Chain State. And uh, it could also be uh, malicious where someone is sending us garbage transactions, of course. But either way, we put it in a memory-limited orphan transaction pool. It's an orphan because it's missing a parent. Um, and we use that to try to uh, hold on to this transaction while we try to download its parents. Um, and it's, it's, quite, it's, it's quite an important data structure for package relays, <laughs> um, just, just to throw that out there. And then your second question, sorry there's a dog following me, I don't know if you can hear that. Um, the second part of why it's a good candidate for TXID and WTXID Distinguish. Um, I guess it's it's one of those data structures where we might need to look things up with either a TXID or a WTXID. So when you look up a parent that you're missing, you only know it's TXID. You don't know the witness data because it's a, it's in a prep out. Um, but of course, the vast majority of the time, we'll also look up things by witness transaction ID. Um, and so I, I guess it's, I'm maybe not articulating this very well, but it's a data structure where we have scenarios where we know, um, where, where we use either TXD or WTXID, and we'll, um, we'll treat those Uint 256s very, very differently. And we so we need to know what the type is, but we are gonna run into situations where we use both. Um, so hopefully that, answers the question. And it was also relatively well scoped um, in terms of number of lines touched. So that's probably also a reason why we started with TX Orphanage. I don't know, you'll probably have to ask Nicholas.
0: (laughs) I'll take an opportunity here to encourage folks who are interested in the technicals to uh, attend these meetings live when they happen or review them after the fact. You have developers like Gloria in there asking and and answering questions uh, related to the PR or unrelated to the PR. You have folks like Larry Ryan, Stickies, SIPA is in there um, on this particular meeting. And so it's a really great way to get their thoughts on how they approach looking at these pull requests. And there's lots of knowledge to be gained there. So if you find yourself technically curious, I would, again, encourage folks to attend that.
2: Yes, I encouraged and, and people of all levels are welcome.
0: Gloria, anything else that you would say about this PR Review Club PR before we move along? No. Nope. All right. Thank you, Gloria, for joining us and, and helping us walk through that PR. We're going to move to the releases and release candidates section of the newsletter. We have two this week. The first one is LDK 0.0.117. We actually covered many of the PRs that rolled into this release in the last month or so, including a few PRs related to estimating liquidity in remote channels to facilitate better routing. We talked last week about the batch funding of outbound channels. We've talked a few weeks ago about improved watch tower support. And there was also four anchor output channel related bug fixes in this release, including one that could potentially lead to loss of funds. So take a look at the security section of the release notes to review that particular potential um, loss of funds bug, as well as a couple others related to anchor output channels. And there's also a lot of PRs noted in the release notes that we didn't cover in the last few weeks of the newsletter. So check out the release notes for this release for more details on that. The second release that we highlighted in the newsletter was BDK 0.29.0, which is a maintenance release. Um, There's two things that changed here. BDK was updated to use Rust Bitcoin 0.30, so updating dependency. And there's also a fix for a bug when syncing Coinbase UTXOs on Electrum. So a bit of an edge case there, but um, if you're somebody who could be impacted by that scenario, you probably want to be upgrading. So that's bdk0.29.0. Moving to the notable code and documentation changes. As we go through these, if anybody has questions, I see Steven is still here, Instagibs is still here. So. If you have any questions on what they were speaking about earlier or any of these PRs, feel free to raise your hand, request speaker access, or leave a comment, and we'll try to get to your question. The first PR that we highlighted here was Bitcoin Core 27.596, which finishes a large part of the Assume UTXO project in Bitcoin Core, which uh, allows a node operator to both use an Assumed Valid snapshot and to do full validation sync in the background. And users can load a UTXO snapshot via the load tx outset RPC. But we did note that this feature is not available on mainnet until activated. Maybe I can use this opportunity to to ask Insta Gibbs if he has thoughts on assume UTXO. Anything to add, Greg? Putting you on the spot. Thumbs down. Well. Uh, this was uh, hopefully going to be a victory lap for James to come on and tout uh, the Assume UTXO project and the great progress that that was made, including this being included in um, the next release. Unfortunately, he was unable to make it. Hopefully, we can get him on in the future to take his uh, victory lap on the project. Another important project that's we've covered recently is the version two encrypted transport from BIP 324. And that is the next set of PRs that we highlighted from the newsletter, which included Bitcoin Core 28331, 28588, 28577, and a Bitcoin Core GUI PR 754, which adds support for encrypted communication between nodes as specified in BIP324. We had uh, Peter Woola on to talk about BIP324 at a high level. This was in Newsletter 268 and our recap discussion on that. So if you're curious as to his thoughts on it, jump back and and listen to that one. The feature is off by default. So you will not be speaking V2 encrypted transport by default, but there is a dash V2 transport option to turn it on if you're running the latest Bitcoin Core version. And your node will then attempt to negotiate encrypted transport with its peers if they also support v2 transport. The GUI PR that is related to this implementation adds BIP324 specific labels in the user interface, um, specifically on the peer details page. There's no UI, UX elements to turn on or off BIP324, you need to use that flag. And the GUI change also includes uh, output about the session ID. So if you do find a peer that speaks V2 transport, you negotiate a session ID with that peer, which is useful to compare with your peer If you happen to have communication with that peer um, and you can compare session IDs, which can be used to detect potential man in the middle attacks if those session IDs don't match. So take a look at that. I know that's been a long time coming. There's been multiple BIPs related to this sort of functionality. It's been several years in the works. It's great that this is in and folks should take a look at that. There will be um, release candidates that include this feature that I would encourage everybody to take a look at, and hopefully there will be also a testing guide um, including some of these features so that everybody can test that out on their own. Another big project-related PR, Bitcoin Core 27609. Unfortunately, Gloria had to drop, but it was opportunity for her to take a bit of a victory lap here on um, the submit package PR. Uh, this pull request makes the submit package RPC available on non-reg test networks, so you can actually use submit package on mainnet. And there's some commentary here about um, open, you know, considering opening this up on mainnet where miners could potentially be using this RPC for something like transaction acceleration services. We saw folks like mempool.space opening something like that up um, compared to what they're doing now. Um, you can do this locally, um, but since this is not fully implemented at the peer-to-peer level, this is not package relay. You can submit transactions locally, but there's no, um, there's, there's no way to communicate those, those um, packages to other peers. So this is um, something that's still in progress as part of the package relay project. There is a package relay tracking issue where you can follow a lot of the progress going on there, including this particular PR 27609. Greg, do you have any comments on package relay, submit package, or
3: the Bit three twenty four rollout? Well, I'm super excited for Bit three twenty four on package relay. <clears throat> there's still a ton of work to be done. Uh, this is just one way that people can start integrating and testing, and maybe uh, slightly improve their chances of propagating search t- transactions. But a long way to go.
0: Next PR this week is to the Bitcoin Core GUI. Bitcoin Core GUI 764, which removes the ability within the user interface to create a legacy Berkeley database wallet. So legacy wallets are being deprecated in upcoming releases. They are being replaced by descriptor based wallets. So removing the functionality now in the GUI could potentially save users having to migrate their quote legacy wallet into a descriptor wallet in the future. Power users can still create legacy BDB wallets um, currently if they really want to, either using an older release or you can use the RPC console and use the Create Wallet RPC. Um, But given that there's a lot of work around transitioning to descriptor wallets and there's plans to deprecate the legacy wallet, you probably don't want to do that unless you know what you're doing. And if you're curious about about the broader effort in Bitcoin Core specifically to retire the legacy wallet, check out the tracking issue on the repository that's titled Proposed Timeline for Legacy Wallet and BDB Removal which is issue uh, 20160. And you'll see a a bunch of different issues related to um, potential timing and releases of when certain things will be turned off and certain other things added as part of that um, larger project that, that this GUI PR rolls up to. Last PR this week is to the core Lightning repository, 6676, which adds a command to populate psbt outputs from the wallet so psbt is partially signed bitcoin transaction and this is used in core lightning to receive funds into the on-chain wallet interactively using psbts and it can either create or modify a psbt and the the end state there is it adds a single output with a specified amount of satoshis and it that's this particular rpc returns uh, on success uh, an object which has the psbt string which is unsigned given the parameters that you've passed it it also estimate, estimates the added weight of the added output that the rpc adds to the psbt and it also includes the index of where the output was placed in that psbt this added um, function also was part of the, the PR that added output and splice out tests in Core Lightning. And those tests also specifically made use of this RPC. So splicing is moving along in Core Lightning. Gibbs, any comments on the the GUI PR or this Core Lightning PR? Or I guess Steven, any, any other comments on the newsletter as a whole before we wrap up? Thumbs up from Greg. Excellent. Well... Thank you, Stephen, for joining us. Thanks to Gloria for joining us. Thanks for Instagibs for jumping in and chiming in and asking some good questions. And we'll see you all next week. Cheers.
1: Cheers.